pressure. Drops. Thibodeau. All he did was almost record double-digit sacks. Steps up in the pocket and goes down. Guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. Here's a guy who has the work ethic and the talent. Now Willis taking a shot for the end zone and it's caught. First of all, I think Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt may even be gone by the time they pick at 50. Well, welcome into a special edition of First Draft Podcast. This week, it's the ESPN Scouts Inc. style. I'm excited for this. We've been waiting a long time. I'm your host, Todd McShay. Usually, it's Field Yates in the seat. It's going to kind of be a roller coaster ride. It's going to be interesting with, with me handling the, the reins today, but I'm looking forward to it, especially because the special guest today is my good friend and my teammate here at Scouts Inc., Steve Mench, a man who, by the way, once in Mobile, Alabama, at the Senior Bowl, with a room full of scouts watching tape, ordered room service <laughs> with a bowl of clam chowder, clam chowder, and a glass of orange juice. So that was the best way I thought to introduce you, Steve. Welcome to the show, bud. Yeah, the best part of that was I was stunned that everyone else was stunned. And then like an hour later, I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's a bad decision. That was, that was a bad move on my part. I mean... Just to kind of peel back the curtain before we get started here, Kevin Weidel, who worked with us for, for 10 years and now is this guy with the Ravens, he was sitting there and you ordered it and, and kind of gave me a funny look. But then when it came in the room and he could actually see you in front of a bowl of clam chowder and, and kind of sipping it down with some orange juice, I thought he was going to get sick. And then I started to get sick because he looked like he was going to get sick. Anyway, but yeah, I, I probably should have introduced- Maybe not my worst decision in Mobile, but, but definitely up there. <laughs> I probably should have introduced you as a, a great scout, a great friend, a really good father, a wonderful, loving husband, and all sorts of things. But I went with the, the clam chowder and orange juice. All right, let's get to it. We got the 2022 NFL draft coming up. This is our Thursday first draft podcast. Obviously, the, the combine is, is on its way within the next week. A lot of stuff to go into next week when we're there with all the heights and the weights and the 40 times and everything else. But I just wanted to get into, since it's the first time you've been on the First Draft podcast this year, and you do so much of the work, I don't want to say behind the scenes because it's in front of the scenes for me, but you know, not many people realize how much you do towards getting us ready for this draft process. And you know, at this point now, having started in May of last year, you have so many thoughts, and I'm getting emails and texts from you every single day. I just want to go through a few different things with you, and we'll start here with what I like to call pivot points in the in the first round. You know, we look at this mock draft, and everyone wants to know who are going to be the first round or round quarterbacks, where are they going to go, um, you know, and who's going to be the first pick on the board. But I'm always intrigued at what people seem to think are the pivot points, if you will, meaning, you know, we kind of think it's going to be, what, tackle or defensive end at one, and then probably Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, defensive end going two if he doesn't go one, if it's Evan Neal to Jacksonville. But where do you think there's some spots in the first round that are really interesting to you? So I'm fascinated with what the Giants are going to do. I don't think they'll – I think pick five, they'll take an offensive lineman or a pass rusher. I think that makes the most sense. But if you get to pick seven, I think it gets interesting if – and he should be there. I think that Malik Willis out of Liberty, the quarterback, will be there. And everyone in that organization is saying the right thing from ownership down is saying all the right things about Daniel Jones that, you know, they haven't done enough for him. You know, he hasn't had enough weapons around him. He's been banged up. He's got a good skill set. I understand all of that. But you're bringing in a whole new leadership under general manager Joe Shane and head coach Brian Dable. Both come over from Buffalo. If you decide to exercise that option on Daniel Jones, his salary jumps a ton in 2023. 
So if Malik Willis is sitting there and you like his skill set, and I think there's things about his game that would be attractive to those two guys, do you consider taking him at seven? We're all hearing that there's not going to be a quarterback that's going to go in the top 10. And I understand that's too early for Willis. But if you're looking at him and you're thinking you can give him a year behind Daniel Jones and you love that skill set, I don't know. It's just fascinating to me. It kind of reminds me of what we're going on. Way to come in. You're not coming in with a softball here. You're coming in at 103 miles an hour. Well, just, I like just remind, this. Listen, I mean, it reminds me of San Francisco. You know, they me, didn't love Garoppolo there last year, but they knew they were yep. going to go another year with him. It's it's just – it seems so similar to me. That's interesting. I, and I yeah, – I'm, I'm kind of in the same thought process with, with Daniel Jones as you are. And I think, you know, anyone who looks at it and takes a step back with all the – you know, the injuries and, and the turnovers, whether it be interceptions and fumbles and the sacks and, and so on and so forth. Clearly, there's talent there. And, and you'd like to think you, you bring in Dable, who, who, you know, Josh Allen. I'm not Josh Allen probably would be Josh Allen without Dable. Let's just be honest. But but it certainly helped. And that relationship was was kind of, you know, worked very well there and having the mobility. And Daniel Jones has some of that. But a Willis has a different kind of set of tools but still has you know exceptional mobility to his game that's interesting now now Kuiper if he was on this this version obviously he's on every Monday and we usually are on part of the the Thursday show but if he was here he'd be yelling at you I just want so I'm going to try to give you Kuiper's (laughs) view or you know just the the opposite side if you will and say well what all right this is what you say I don't understand you're you're committed to him for another year you want to put the best people around him you think that maybe he's got a chance to be great his new system get some you know continuity with a new new offensive coach and and put some pieces around him to help make him better whether it's on the defensive side the offensive line whatever it is to make him better so use those picks that they have at five and seven instead of instead of going the quarterback route. Yeah, I, I get it. I think there would actually be more weight to the argument because, again, Daniel Jones does some nice things, but I think there would be a little more weight to that argument if he was able to stay healthy up until this point and they didn't have to make a decision about his fifth-year option so soon. I mean, you're kind of, right. kind of behind the eight ball a little bit with that. So to me, the, and the reason you do it is if you think that Malik Willis is a potential upgrade and that is, in as much as respect you might have for Daniel Jones, it hasn't worked out. And you think that this is, you know, you really are falling in love with this kid as you watch more and more tape and what he could be in a year or two. That's why it makes sense to me. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's a good start. All right. What, what other pivot points do you have? Anything else really jumps out to you in the first round? Well, something that's really interesting to me, I, I guess we'll go here first is, are the Eagles really going to draft the receiver in the first round for the third straight year? I mean, <laughs> they got those three picks right in the middle of the first round and they, they can get a good one there. I think they can get a real good one there. Uh, it makes sense. It's a real need. But when you look at the track record, I think Devontae Smith is going to be fine. I think he's going to work out well. But Jalen Rager, there's not a lot to be optimistic about there right now. And the guy they got in the second round in 2019, J.J. Orsega-Whiteside, has been a bust. So – I think Eagles fans might be throwing up in their mouth at this point, but it makes sense for them to go. I know you gave him Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. I think that would be a great pick for them, but you have got to be anxious if you're an Eagles fan looking at them taking another first round wide receiver. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess I look at it from both sides. I mean, obviously we're, we're talking about the Eagles who pick at 15, 16, and then again at, um, at 19. 19 overall. Yep. So in my recent mock draft, and I think a lot of people, kind of go in the similar direction that defense early with 15 and 16. And then I, I went with receiver 
A, because I do think it's a position of need. And just like you talked about, yes, they've used those picks, but if, if you're missing on swings, you got to keep swinging. And it doesn't mean you've missed on all of them, but you'd like to be in a much, like you said, it, it, you know, two first rounders and a second rounder the last three years. You'd like to think you're set for what, right. seven, eight years at the wide receiver position. Right. And they, they could be good. You know, they can be pretty solid, but I think they're that one guy away. And the reason that Burks was interesting to me, you know, Traylon is a six foot three receiver. He's built well. He's, he's great in the slot. You know, most guys are X receivers that are that size on the outside, but he, he does some of his best work at Arkansas in the slot and some of his best work after the catch, which is unusual. So he, he's a big physical receiver. I don't think he's a great route runner. I think he's a little bit, you know, slow in and out of his breaks and you can get into all the nuances of his game. But, uh, but I, I think just for a, having a bigger receiver for Jalen Hurts, where the accuracy is not always there, and, and he can miss inside the strike zone a lot more when he's got bigger receivers to throw to. So that's why it's intriguing to me. Uh, but I, I do yeah. say I gave, him, I gave him the Kobe Dean, the inside linebacker from Georgia, Trayvon mm-hmm. Walker, the defensive end from Georgia as well at 15, 16, and then went with Burks at, at 19. I'd be the pretty only, happy with that if I was an Eagles fan. But again, yeah. there would be a lot of trepidation. Yeah, but where are so so if you bring it up? So where else would you go? If you've already gone, whatever the player is, you can plug in Devin Lloyd for Nicobe Dean, you can plug in uh Jermaine Johnson the third from Florida State for Jordan right. Walker. But if it's defensive line and inside linebacker with 15 16, where do you go at 19? Or do you, well, here's, here's you go, the other thing that I was yeah. thinking now, anytime you see, and I know it's not early first round picks, but Anytime you see these three picks grouped together like this and you got three first round picks, do they package? Are there someone that they want to move up to get? And there has been some, you know, some of them getting tied to Seattle quarterback Russell Wilson. Are they going to make, right. is this a team that's going to make that big splash move? Do they? I that's think the only quarterback the move right. I would make. Mensch, that's the only quarterback move I would make would be trading for, for a veteran. Yes. And, and Russell's the only name that I've heard there. I haven't heard Sean Watson. I have not heard – I haven't heard Aaron Rodgers there, you know, and, and we're going to find right. out a lot more, it sounds like, in the next week or so. Uh, but but to me, if I've got three first-round picks, and you'd like to think you could get a great quarterback package up and go get a guy, but it's not the year. And right. so now it's about, in my opinion, unless one of the quarterbacks that you love falls in your lap at, at 15, I just – you know – I love Malik Willis from Liberty. I think he, he has exceptional mobility. He's got the strongest arm of all the quarterbacks in this class. But are, are we certain that we're getting a, a significant upgrade over, over what we already have in Jalen Hurts? That's the big question to me. So if, if you're making a quarterback move, and I'm Howie Roseman, the GM, I'm, gonna, I'm absolutely going to go the route of Russell Wilson if I have a shot at doing that. But I'm not doing anything else. You know, I, I'm not going in the rookie pool. I'm trying to build around Hurts. And I, I, we've kind of gone all in on Hurts to this point. He made significant improvement over the course of the last year. And, you know, if, if you think if you can put three other first-round players around him, that they got a chance to, to make that next step. And I, that's the best you can do with this quarterback class unless, like you said, you can go get a Russell Wilson. Right. I mean, the other option, you could, you could get a corner there, depending on who falls to you. You could stay on the defensive side of the ball and continue to build it and hope you find a receiver in the, you know, in the, in the later rounds. But to me, it, it just, as bad as it's been, receiver makes the most sense. I just see them doing it again. Yeah. And cornerback's so loaded this year too. Yeah. You know, I, it, you know, Ahmad Gardner, Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, 
Derek Stingley from LSU. They're probably they're likely to be off the board in the top 10, 12 yeah. picks. And then after that, you get Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon from Washington, Andrew Booth from Clemson. And then you get in the second second round. There's still a lot of good corners like Tariq Woolen, the six foot three long corner from UTSA. Um, Roger McCreary, who was shut down corner at Auburn. Uh, Kyrie Elam from from Florida. Martin Emerson, who's more of a press zone corner from Mississippi State. But anyway, the list goes on and on. But if you don't get that corner in round one, my point is there are guys in rounds two and three this year. All right, so those are those are two really interesting points in, in focusing in the NFC East. Anything else in the first round that jumps out at, out at you before we get into another topic here? Well, not to pump you up too much, um, no. and it, and I'm guessing you took a lot of heat for this one, but I thought the in your in one of my favorite picks in your in your mock was you taking was the Lions taking North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell at pick 32. <laughs> okay. And I know I heard you you kind of hint at it or, or talk about it. It gives you that fifth-year option, which I think is important. And when I look at how I understand – look, I get why he could go in the second round. I understand why we have a second-round grade on him. You're looking at him in, you know, 2021 tape, not as good as a 2020 tape. I really felt like I was going to get something more in Mobile and watching those practices. I wasn't overwhelmed with how he played. But I go back to the 2020 tape, and I go back to, you know, what his overall skill set is – And I'm intrigued. And I think if you're going to get a potentially a starting quarterback that late, I think you, you, you take a shot at it. And I know that, you know, Jared Goff and the dead money and all that, that will go down, but his base salary will go up. And I think Jared Goff is, is an okay quarterback, but I don't believe that he's going to be the quarterback that takes you to the Super Bowl. And if that's the case, then I love taking a quarterback with that last pick in the first round. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Yeah, and you get the fifth-year option, obviously. And, and you're, you're bringing Howell in, even though he's experienced at North Carolina. You're bringing him in to develop him because he's got the big arm. Not an elite arm. It's not Malik Willis, and it's certainly not you know the elite guys in the NFL. But it's, he's got a strong arm. I think he's the most accurate deep ball passer in this year's class. 
His mobility, I think, is a little overrated in terms of what it was at North Carolina compared to what it will be in the NFL. Because Listen, I just watched Wake Forest today watching Ty Chandler, the running back, and, and their three offensive linemen. And I've watched UNC against in that game, which was an unbelievable game, by the way, 58, 55. But, <laughs> but my, my point is they're running him like two out of four plays. It seems like they're running him on, on quarterback draws and that's a huge part of his game, but it's not going to be that in the NFL. He's not, you know, overly fast, but he is mobile enough and he's tough and competitive and all those things. And you just love him when you sit down and meet with this guy. And, and that's kind of why I thought Detroit would make sense. The fifth-year option, a quarterback that's going to need a year. You've got a veteran quarterback that can, you know, can be your your bridge, if you will, and you can learn from and, and sit back and kind of understand an offense coming from that system in North Carolina. So I'm not saying they're going to do it. I'm not saying Howell belongs in the first round. I, I, I don't think necessarily he does. But we see every year a quarterback or two get pushed up late in the first round. We saw, you know, we've seen several teams do this where they try to trade back in. I, you know, we talked about it recently on the Mel's mock draft show. Um, it talked yeah. about, uh, Oz, Ozzie Newsom coming in and, and getting, and getting their quarterback for the next 10 years, you know, and, and, and wanting to leave a legacy, but that, that was more to the point of what Pittsburgh was doing, but not necessarily what Detroit was doing. But ultimately when you're late in that first round and you have a quarterback need in any way, shape or form to get the first, to get that fifth year option is unbelievable. And that's, that's what Ozzie did with Lamar Jackson. So, uh, I think what they do there will also tie into, you know, it talks about the depth of the corner class again, you know, who's available. I think if Tariq Woolen's there, it could be tough to pass up on a guy like that at pick 32, because I think he's got the talent to be a number one corner. And that's obviously a need for them. But again, if you think you can get your starting quarterback at pick 32, and I think there's a chance that Howell could be that guy. I don't think it's a lock, but I think there's a chance Then, man, I, I just like taking that, that chance. Yeah, and just a few picks later, you're you're picking again in the second round, and you can probably get this. It's very likely you're going to get the same player at, at what is it, 34? I think they pick mm-hmm. that you would able you would be able to get at 32. Right. All right, so we got through the pivot points. Those are some really interesting interesting spots, especially early on with the the Giants and Eagles. Now I want to take a look at some of your your favorite players. Five guys, and it doesn't have to be obviously the five best players in this class, but I call it the all tape team. I do that every single year. Like, who are the the three, four, five guys that jump out to me that I just I could sit there and get lost in their tape because I love the way they play, whether it's the physicality, the confidence, whatever it is. Are there a few guys? I don't care if it's two, three, five, whatever it is, a few guys this year that you just absolutely love the way they play the game. Well, I mean, there's always a bunch every year, right? I mean, I, I came up with five. The first one, I think you'll probably – you might have a guess. It's a Big 12 safety. Yeah, <laughs> Peter, yep. you've been, you've been uh, banging on the table for him. And if, you, if you'll notice, by the way, if you go to ESPN.com, the draft tracker, and you follow our, our rankings, I have been holding off. I've had Dax Hill <laughs> from Michigan all year long. I've had Dax Hill slight, like an 88 grade on Dax and an 87 grade on Petrie. And I finally have made the move. I didn't even tell you about this. I was no, I didn't wait know. To, I think you I just sent me the, break the it on this podcast. I was going to break it on this pro- podcast for you. And now I'm doing it earlier than I expected to do, but that's great too. But I, I bumped him up to the number two safety in this class behind Kyle Hamilton, who we all agree is going to be a top 10 pick, could be a top five pick. So there you go, Mench. That's your first concession of the, of the rankings year for you. Yeah, I mean, I, look, he doesn't – I don't think he has great size. He doesn't have great length, but you throw on the tape, he's versatile. 
He plays fast. I mean, I think you texted me back. You said, I really like him too. He's all over the field. I couldn't agree with you more. I just, I like watching him play. I thought he was super competitive in mobile. Uh, I loved watching him practice down there on tape. It was just overall, I, I just think he's a really good player. Yeah, he's, uh, and, and I love him in the slot because in the slot, he's dangerous because he comes off the edge versus, right. I mean, I, I saw probably a dozen times on tape where he would meet the running back as he was getting the handoff. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's how it, it, he just has an instinct of for when to turn it loose and, and, and even come going after the quarterback as a pass rusher. But he just knows when his speed is going to out, you know, outduel the, the offensive tackle or the tight end to his side. And then when he's going to peel back off and go into coverage. And obviously part of that is scheme. But he seems to have an instinct as to like, you know, what, whatever the, the formation is, and what he's looking at. Like, all right, I, I can I can sneak in backside. And they, they won't expect me to get there. And he goes and gets there. I, I just think he's a football player. Like he just he knows he knows it. He's undersized, but it's never affected him to this point. And I don't think it's going to affect him in the NFL. Yeah, you don't notice that you notice the size when you see it on paper, but you don't notice it when you watch the tape. Yeah. Uh, all right. Rip through the other guys. All right. Speaking of size, this guy, uh, Memphis wide receiver Calvin Austin. He is five foot eight. And he's not even five foot eight. He weighed 173 pounds at, at the senior bowl. You know, speed is a big part of his game. And I think if you look at traditionally undersized receivers that are known for speed, you get a little bit concerned about how they're going to transition the NFL. But you look at his production. I mean, he had two 1,000-yard receiving seasons. Uh, And then you watch the tape. I just love his release. I love his ability to set up his routes. I think he's a much more polished receiver than some of these guys we've seen in the past. I I just – I love watching him play, and it's hard not to root for a guy that size. Uh, Another guy I got is Florida running back Damian Pierce. I think it's pretty, pretty simple. What's not to like about a big back who runs angry, you know, keeps churning his legs on contact, knows how to finish. I think he's got the toughness and size to be a reliable pass blocker. Uh, guy will be, I think, be more productive in the pros than he was in college. Um, going on to the next guy would be Stanford defensive lineman, Thomas Booker. Power and versatility are the first two words that come to mind when I think of them. If you're looking for a two-gap run defender with the strength, control blockers, locate the ball and get off blocks, and he's your guy. He's not gonna he's not gonna wow you with the pass rush, but he's he's an excellent run defender. And you know his best fit is probably a defensive end in an odd front, but I think he can also play defensive tackle in an even front. And the last guy, I'm gonna go deep with this one, McShay. You probably I wouldn't be surprised if you made fun of me. I don't think I don't think he's gonna get drafted. I think that you know every <laughs> year every year you look at it's a good guy selling like, point, bench. What's that? That's a good selling point. <laughs> I know. Look, every year you look at these guys and you understand that they have deficiencies in their games. They will either cause them to fall or, will, you know, or just potentially go undrafted. But you just love the way they play. And, and UCLA Nickelback, Quantrez Knight, he's undersized. He's got short arms. He played in 57 college games and he never interested to the pass. But when you watch the tape, he's instinctive. He tackles well. He's relentless. You will see him. He's constantly near the line of scrimmage at that size and he's getting just beat up. But every, t- every time he has that next step mentality, he's just as tough a player I've seen on tape this year. And well, I, you know, I'm not sure how much defense he's going to play in the NFL, to be honest with you. I would love to see him catch on as a special teams player. 
Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a good list. Interesting. You got a, a priority free agent in there as well. Listen, Calvin Austin, I agree with you. I mean, we have him as an 11th best receiver in this year's class, and it's it's loaded. Um, but, you know, 11th best is still late second, you know, early early third round. And I, I think he's got a chance to be a, a great slot receiver, and he's just so explosive. And and Damian Pierce, we've got him as the sixth running back in this year's class. This this back class, I'm still sorting through it. And I I, I mentioned this, this name before. Ty Chandler from North Carolina is a lot better than I expected to see. And he's an, another guy I just – I love the way he plays on tape. He'll, he's 205 pounds at six – about six foot, a little over six foot. But he, he'll, he'll stick his face in the fire and, and pass protection. He, he breaks tackles for a kind of a lean frame. And, and he, he's got some catches in, in the tape that I've studied that are impressive down the field, not just the outlet stuff and the screen game, but down the field. He's a guy that's moving up, in my opinion, from North Carolina. But going back to Pierce, you know, it's hard to sort through these running backs. Kenneth mm-hmm. Walker from Michigan State, Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, Brees Hall from Iowa State seem to be – at the top of most people's, you know, boards. And when you talk to guys in the league and friends that I have, you know, that everyone, it's a different variation, but then I like, I still like Kyron Williams from, from Notre Dame. It's kind of a scat back who can work in the slot at times. James Cook is very similar. I think maybe a little twitchier, but was never really the guy until the end of his Georgia career, Dalvin's brother. Um, and, and then Damian Pierce is there at number six behind those first five guys. So it's going to be an interesting running back class. All right, so we just went through your your favorite players, your guys you love to watch on tape. I'm interested in in which position group because we've talked a lot this year about the quarterbacks aren't great. You know, it's not a typical year. Um, the, the the cornerbacks are really strong. The edge rushers are exceptional. The offensive tackles are really good. What position to you do you think is kind of underrated and getting overlooked in this class? I mean, I love I just love the tight end class. I, I've said it. I'll keep saying it. I think the depth of this tight end class is impressive. There's no guy like a Kyle Pitts who you can make an argument as a receiver, but I would say he's a tight end. There's no, no one like that. That is an elite talent. And, you know, the top tight, tight end on our board is Colorado State's Trey McBride. He's not in that category, but I, I love his game. I think he's rugged. I think he makes contested catches. When you look at that tape of, of Colorado State, I mean, he is really the only weapon they have, and every defense knows it, and he still finds ways to make plays. Yeah, he's not he's not built like he's not built like Dallas Goddard for the Eagles, but he reminds me a lot in terms of his game. Like it's not a lot of great separation, but it's late separation using the body going up. It's being able to to work in line as a blocker, even though he's not dominant, but he's he's effective and as a move blocker. 
and can can create a little bit after the catch. Again, not elite traits. And Goddard wasn't coming out of you know Alabama or or Michigan or Georgia or a premier right. program. He was you know so kind of a smaller program. Doesn't have elite traits, but but the, I think McBride. I agree, the best best tight end in this class. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually see that until you mentioned it, but it does. It, it makes a lot of sense. They are very similar players. And then I think when you go into like who's that that second guy, you know, I think there's a real battle for that. I think that you know we have Coastal Carolina's Isaiah Likely right now. I I think when you watch his tape, man, he flashes as a route runner. He's got really good hands. You know, a lot of these guys got to get better at blockers, and he certainly falls into that category. But if he hits his ceiling, then I think you understand why he's the the number two tight end in this class. And then UCLA's Greg Dulcich and and you know had a great week at the Senior Bowl. Might be the you know, outside of likely competing for the best big play threat in the group. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Weidermeyer, I think from Texas A&M, I think we forget how good he is because we just, you know, we've had the senior bowl now. We haven't seen him in a while. And Jalen Weidermeyer is, is a real good tight end prospect to me. When you're looking at those three. He's had so many drops this past year, but I, I loved his tape in, in 2020. And you still like the athleticisms there for, for a big guy. Yeah, I get it. I mean, he was before, before the drops this year and I get it he was definitely in consideration to be the top tight end in this class. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, you, I understand it dinging him a little bit, but I still think he's got a chance to be a really good player in the NFL. And then just, I mean, you just keep going down the list. I mean, Jeremy Ruckert, shorthanded, Cole Turner, some of the releases that I see on tape are impressive. Kate Otten had disappointing last two seasons, but I think when you watch the tape, he's probably a better player than the production shows. I mean, it just goes on and on. How about on Jake Ferguson too? Jake Ferguson, caught everything at the senior bowl. And I don't think I've seen, I think I've done six tapes on him the last two years. I don't think I've seen him drop a pass in a game. He was, uh, he had a great week. I mean, he had a great week. There's a lot of yeah. guys that helped themselves down there. I think he's, he's definitely near the top of that list. And, you know, and that's a guy we're, we've got in the fourth round right now. That's our, our ninth best tight end, or I haven't seen the latest rankings. He's in that range, I'd say. Yep. And he's just someone like, you know, when you watch him down there, you're like, wow, this is, again, you're, you're not have you're not going to find the elite guy, but you're going to find guys that I think contribute early and for a long time. You know, the other day I threw on I threw on Curtis Hodges from Arizona State, late round guy. I think you moved him in the late round recently, and he just reminds me of Donald Parham from you know from the Los Angeles Chargers, who obviously had that horrific injury, and hopefully he's going to be okay. And I just think he was starting to carve out a role with that team and just that that big target over the middle, and that's what Hodges is. He's about six foot eight, just like Parham just a big target that can help you in the red zone, make some plays over the middle. Maybe he's not an every down player and you don't take him early, but I think he could play a role in the NFL. And that's when you're looking at this group, there's just guys like that all over. Yeah. And the league. So, so much now more so than we've seen in a long time is becoming like middle of the field centric, whether it's a tight end that you're, you're using to, to flex out. You know, we saw Kyle Pitts come in record setting rookie year, what he did with the Falcons. And, and it's more than that. And bigger receivers going from that X receiver into the slot. Like you're just looking for matchup pieces, create some mismatches. And I was just looking at it right now as you were going through this list. It, no team has as tight end as, as their number one need, right? It's always pass right. rusher, quarterback, wide receiver. But, uh, but there are several teams, and I've just looked at our list of, of team needs, like the second, third, fourth need that they have, which is pretty early. You know, the Rams could use an upgrade at tight end. The Chargers, you, you mentioned their situation. The Jets could use another tight end. The Texans, the Colts, Saints, Titans, Giants. Those, I mean, those are, what, like seven teams that I just listed that I think in the first three rounds 
could be interested in a tight end. And, and this year, finally, we, I think the depth is there, you know, the, the supply meets the, the demand, you know, if you will. So it's going to be interesting to see. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a chance to take some shots at me here. <laughs> we're, we're going to play a little fun, fun segment. We're almost, almost wrapping up here, but player that I liked that you told me to, to beat it. Let's put it that way. That, that you told me like, no way you're wrong. You're an idiot. I, I can't really say on the podcast, some of the things that you've said to me, like go watch the tape again. What are you thinking? Or, you know, what's the issue here? But then you turn out to be right. Who's that player that you think of? And we've been doing this just for people to know, just for people to know, I think about 15 years now together, every single draft. So, so you get yeah, some history to, to sort through and, and a lot of my mistakes to, <laughs> to have at me here with. So, I, this the ought to be the one guy that was tough for me. And there was a big debate this year between three quarterbacks. And that was, we ended up giving Johnny Manziel a 90, which is a fringe first round grade. I think, yep. I think other people were higher on it. And it was really a debate between that year, Blake Bortles, uh, Johnny Manziel and Teddy Bridgewater. And Teddy Bridgewater was my guy. I just thought like he was the best out of the three. And obviously he didn't, you know, I didn't hit on Teddy as much as I thought I would. I thought that Bridgewater was going to be a franchise quarterback. And he's gone on to be okay, but he's never really turned into the player that I thought he was going to be. That being said, yeah, you Johnny did. Manziel getting a 90 was a tough one for me because I just, I, you know, forgive me for saying it, but I think it, you kind of talked yourself into it because of the the buzz and the buildup, which you rarely yeah, do. Yeah, and I was lower on him than most people. I don't even view that as a, you, like I a know. huge flop, but I agree. I mean, Brett, you can't, there's no disagree. I know. And there were guys. Because there were, there were, there were, there were people that had him a lot higher than ninety. Yeah. Um, no, I'll and I take just that. remember I'll, I'll own that, one. that year. I'll we own immobile. that one. What's that? I, I I'll own that one. I owe you. I owe you a meal over that. I've never. I don't think you've ever <laughs> brought that up to me. I yeah, like I remember that. in Mobile, we were just we didn't love his tape. As exciting as he was as a player, no, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't love his tape, and I felt like if we had, if the draft was the next day, we wouldn't have given him a first round grade. So that one was yeah. kind of tough for me. It's a good reminder too of how as you get closer to the draft and the pro day where he shows been his shoulder pads and he, yeah, you know, he's dialed in and all that stuff. Like you gotta the tape is one number one and, and then any red flags. And there were there were several of them with, with Johnny, Johnny football. All well, right, how about the go ahead? The other thing I would say about this, I don't really listen, I'll give you credit. I don't think you care about Johnny Manziel showing up in shoulder pads. I think what, what yeah, happens is not. is that is it there's, there's people that you trust that I trust that we all trust that we go and we talk to about players and they'll say, Hey, take another look. And what happens is sometimes there's enough buzz within the league where guys start to fall in love with a, a player like Manziel and they're like, go back and look. And you're like, okay, you know, this is someone I've trusted in the past. They've been right in the past. You know, I'm going to go back and look and see what they're saying. And sometimes that's where you start to move a player and say, you know, it's the, it's paralysis by overanalysis. That old saying is you, you now are going back and finding ways to like this player that you didn't love before. And I think that's really kind of what happened in that situation and happens every once in a while. Yeah. All right. A player that you love that I told you to beat it and, and you were, you were still right. I thought that we should have given uh, Michigan state running back Le'Veon Bell a first round grade in 2013. Yeah, you did. I loved him. You I did. loved him. And you might be better at this job than I thought, huh? <laughs> So he ended up going, listen, we gave him, we gave him a third round grade, which for a running back, we, you know, to keep it in perspective, a third round grade for a running back is pretty good. And where was um, he drafted? If you think he's going to go in the, you know, the first two nights of the draft, that's pretty good for a running back. I think I just thought he was unique in what he could give you. And it, and it bared out. It was unique. He was unique in what he could do 
as a receiver and what he could do on third yeah. down. That, that's what no I doubt. really liked about him. Um, all right, now you know, now that we've sugarcoated you and told you how great you are and made you feel so good and you've got all this confidence, the section I wanted to do was Mench's notes. Like, doesn't matter what it's what it's about. Does like just miscellaneous notes, stuff that you've written down, stuff that you're you're hot on. Go ahead, rip. I can't believe that Arizona State defensive end Tyler Johnson didn't get a combine invite. I just can't. I just he's big and he's long, and I don't like him as much as Booker from Stanford, but he's right there. He's 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 a guy that can control blocks. He's not going to lie. He's a pass rusher. He is, uh, you know, he's he's got enough talent. I think there's. I don't think I would be stunned if he wasn't drafted and not to get a combine invite. You know, really surprised me. And you know, the other thing is, I've been watching a lot of Pac-12 tape. And just to get into it a little bit, there are three intriguing, you know, slot receivers slash return men and coming out of that conference. And I'm interested to see where they go because I don't think they're – I think they're all day three guys. When you're looking at uh, Kyle Phillips from UCLA, Stanley Berryhill from Arizona, and Britton Covey from Utah, all players that are like – you know, they're, I don't think they're going to run great times. They're not big, but they are very good and efficient after the catch in terms of making guys miss, instinctive – you know, can get open underneath and then they can help you out in the return game. And it's, it's interesting that they're all coming from the same conference and, you know, it'll be, it'll be cool to see where they go. Well, Mench, I appreciate you, you coming on. It's always fun. We do this every single week. We just don't do it for other people to hear. Um, and you, you know, you humbled me. So that's, that's always good. Kuiper's <laughs> going to love listening to this. He's going to, he's going to make Kim and Lauren listen to it at home. And so that's, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. a win as well. So thanks everyone for, for listening. We really appreciate it. Mench, absolutely deserves this time to, to unleash the, um, you know, all the, the scouting notes that he's done. We'll be back on Monday, though, for our normal 2 p.m. live stream on YouTube, Twitter, and the ESPN app. And it's also available wherever you get your podcasts. So, again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.